everyone. Welcome to Chi Alpha After Hours. We're your hosts, Cassie, Nathan, and Christian, here to take a closer look at what it means to follow Jesus on the university campus. Today, we're going to be discussing the question of if women, according to the Bible, should serve in positions of ministry leadership. Different denominations and churches still vary widely on this. Some allow women to hold leadership positions over other women and children, but not men. Some allow women to hold leadership if no men are willing to fill the role. And some actively encourage women to hold leadership positions over both men and women without restrictions. In general, people who hold any of these positions are Christians who have a high regard for the Bible, but interpret the Bible differently. It's important for us to remember that so that we're not saying our own position on this is the only view that Christians should hold. I want to affirm that our goal on these kinds of topics should always be to read and obey God's word and be faithful to what God was communicating to us through scripture. On topics like this, it can be really easy to look at our American culture and say something like, well, of course women should be allowed to do that because equality is important. But when we base our ministry practices on culture, we make culture our authority and not God. As Christians, we believe that God has intentionally designed people in our world to operate in specific ways, and that ultimately what God has designed is actually what's best for us, actually better than what our culture says is good. We seek to follow God's best, not our own opinions of what's best. So with those things in mind, today we're going to look at a few, though not all, of the scripture passages that tend to lead Christians to one position or another on this topic. Let me just summarize our position as we start. As Chi Alpha pastors, we believe that God affirms through scripture that women can serve in ministry leadership roles with the authority to teach both men and women. We believe that properly interpreting the Bible means considering the cultural context that the biblical texts are addressing, and that when we do this, we find that passages which appear to restrict women from ministry leadership actually make sense within that context, but were not intended to be instructions for the entire church for all time. Okay, that was a lot. So let's jump in. Um, before we look at some of the more dis difficult passages, it's helpful to point out that Paul does affirm women in the New Testament church as people serving in ministry positions. Who are some of these women and how does this affect the way we approach this question? One of the great places to look um, to find some of these women that, that Paul really affirms is in Romans 16. And there's just a number of women in that, um, in that list. Um, there's Phoebe, who is really like, you know, Paul's sending probably with this letter and is really, he says, is my representation to you guys. Like he just gives her a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of street cred, you know, he, like he, in a way he's like, this is a kind of like a Timothy figure. So then we also have Priscilla on that list in, in Romans 16, who, um, contrary to most of the Bible, like, um, like there's a couple Priscilla and Aquila, mm -hmm. um, commonly when, when couples are phrased together, you know, the male's name would be first Aquila and Priscilla. And here throughout the whole book of Acts, almost every time Priscilla, I actually think it's not every time, but, um, all except for one time, Priscilla is the one named first, um, giving some kind, you know, that's important in the Greco Roman worldview is like, oh, there's some level of like, she's actually, a person that is um, maybe maybe the main one teaching instead of her husband, and so there's mm -hmm. this pro, there's this um, like kind of a deference given to her, which is a pretty interesting thing. Even though she's partnering with her husband, um, it's not like in conflict with her husband. Um, and so she's mentioned in Romans 16. 
And then you also have this interesting case of Junia, um, which um, is actually an interesting thing. Like uh, what what it is is there's another name. Uh, I think it's Junius is the is the name in Greek that is recorded there. But there's not one case of it being a male name in all of like Greco-Roman history. Like it just never seems to have been a, a real name, and so it's caused some people to to think that like over time somebody um you know an editor added a a male ending to it because they couldn't see how a a woman could be an apostle um you know and i think honestly with that question there's like some ups and downs to it because maybe somebody just named their kids junius you know and and they're the only one you know so i mean i know a lot of people with a lot of weird names you know but but definitely you know some scholars say there's actually a really good opportunity there's a really good chance that Actually, this apostle was a woman named Junia. And so um, so there's that. And then also, I just want to mention, too, the Old Testament has a number of mm-hmm. of, of people. You know, Isaiah talks about he went to the prophetess. Mm-hmm. Instead of, like, going to his wife, like, mm-hmm. he went to the prophetess, which it has a different kind of phrase to it. So even in ancient Israel, there is a place for women to have some, like, level of teaching, authority, um, and then you see Deborah in the, mm-hmm. in the book of Judges um, leading the nation. Um, so, so there's just there's just there's just places. A Miriam, Miriam with um, seemed to have some kind of a leadership role alongside with Aaron and Moses. Um, so, so there there's definitely a lot of places where women throughout the whole Bible have had some level of like leadership and authority. I do think part of the challenge here is that our ministry roles today do look different than what the New Testament church had. So a lot of the terms used to describe women serving in certain positions might be like prophetess or um, deacon or um, apostle in Junia's case. And we kind of don't know what those ministry roles actually looked like. We know some of the things they they involved, but not all. Um, So I think there can be a challenge in like, oh, does that directly translate to our understanding of what pastoral leadership means. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that can be where some of the confusion comes from in in people interpreting these texts in different ways of saying, well, okay, they were in charge of this, but I don't know if that means it it should be like that women can can be pastors in the way that we we have pastors now. Well, to be totally honest, with that same question, we actually don't know exactly what it meant to be a pastor back then mm-hmm. versus being a pastor, what it means today. That's what mm-hmm. I mean. Yeah. So, I mean, so it's like, how did they function? But mm-hmm. it's like, even for the males, mm-hmm. even for the men, right. we don't probably function exactly in the same way yeah. as the men functioned back mm-hmm. then. So there's mm-hmm. been a lot of changes yeah. from then that time till now. You know, it's also worth noting, you know, I think I I meant to say this, I'm not sure, but with Romans 16, there's also, I mean, I just gave you some of the highlights of some of the women, but there's, there's a number of other women in that, Mm -hmm. in that list also. Mm -hmm. And then um, you got in Philippians, you have Philippians 4, 2 through 3, um, this mention of Eodia and Syntyche Mm -hmm. um, having an argument. And Paul doesn't really pick a side. He doesn't say one of them is wrong, or he doesn't say Mm -hmm. these women shouldn't be speaking. It's just a statement of like, let's have these women get along together. There's clearly some kind of disagreement they're having. Mm -hmm. And actually the whole letter talks about people having a disagreement. Like Paul's always highlighting people disagreeing and people um, kind of like letting go of their rights to walk in unity of the gospel. 
And that's just a common theme throughout the whole book of Philippians. And he's really trying to speak into this situation with Eodia and Syntyche. And he doesn't pick a side. And he doesn't say they need to stop like being influential. He, he says, I would want them to agree with each other. Mm-hmm. And so um, there's, there's definitely a statement of like their influence isn't bad. He clearly values them. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's also saying like the way that they're having some kind of an argument, which maybe there's no right or wrong to, needs to have some kind of resolution and there needs to be unity. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's, that's interesting, I think. Yeah, I think it's worth pointing out that, um, you know, the fact that Paul is addressing it makes it important, right? These must be important people if he knows them by name and he's speaking into their situation and saying this is how this conflict should be addressed. And I think, too, there's a sense of like, well, if this shouldn't be happening at all, Paul would say that. And in mm-hmm. none of none of these women that we've men- mentioned, like Yodia and Syntyche, of course, but also the women in Romans 16... Paul isn't saying these women should not be serving in ministry. Mm -hmm. Like he never calls that out, um, which is important when we move into these other passages where people are like, oh, Paul is saying women should not teach, but he's not criticizing that here. Um, And in fact, the word that he uses, at least in Romans 16, for the work that these women are doing um, is a word that he usually uses to refer to ministry work um, when he's talking about other men in the New Testament. Um, And so it does seem like this is a very clear picture where Paul is affirming, this is where these women are serving, this is what they're doing, and I'm celebrating that, um, at least in these texts. I think one thing that I think is implicit within this conversation, and I hope this is a little bit, I hope that this is um, not deviating too much from our topic of leadership, but I think implicitly within Paul, um, you know, acknowledging these women's point of leadership is like he's saying that they are, in fact, gifted by the same spirit of God mm-hmm. um, with certain things and that they're they um, in having been given a, a gift of the spirit, their contributions to the church are important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's just true for everyone. You know, like I think um, we all are given many gifts by the spirit and those are meant to bless the church. Um, and we need to. Um, uh, as a church, we need to be listening to how the Spirit wants to speak um, and use people through their giftings and and things like that and not, um, um, yeah, and and allowing the Lord to work through people and and gifting people that way. And I think that's just implicit within there and, like, um, implicit within that. I think sometimes we might think that, I don't know, people's gifts are different or of a different quality or a different degree. And I don't think that's, um, I think that's something that Paul is actually pushing up against. It's like, no, these like women are actually very gifted mm-hmm. in capacities that uh, puts them in position. Mm-hmm. So. And I think, I think too, like, you know, Nathan, you're kind of like getting at the heart of this issue is like, you know, we're going to, there's, there are a couple of passages that where Paul seems to like censure women speaking in the congregation and you know we'll, we'll go talk to that and and um, as you mentioned cash see there's like good reasons for some people to have adopted the choice to like say we don't endorse women speaking or we don't endorse women teaching and not good in the sense of like a logical sense but just in a sense of being obedient to god's word like mm-hmm. they 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 really value god's word and they say, well, this is how I, I don't know how else to read this. I, this is how I see it. Mm-hmm. And I, I just like honor that conviction that pe- when people are choosing to obey the Lord and 
um, or obey the word as they understand, and they're willing to give up their rights. Mm. Um, that's yeah. a really valuable thing. Mm. So I've had some women, I mean, some of the most vehement people who are against women teaching are women, like that I know, yeah, you know, that they're true. very like, they and they find a lot of, um, they felt like by submitting themselves, they like have chosen like to um, trust the Lord with something. And mm. they, they feel a lot of like release and trust of the Lord. And they're like, so I, you know, mm. I don't necessarily hold that. I don't hold that position. You know, I, I think women have a lot to teach us. But at the same time, when people choose to embrace, especially women, and choose to give up their rights to, for the, the goodness of God, I just think that God sees that gift mm-hmm. and he really values it. So, so there's, there's something with that, but, but what, 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 one thing you're saying, you know, just, just as kind of like a, a thought, like Nathan's saying, like the same spirit is working in these women talk about in the Bible. And, you know, there's this Galatians passage. It's, it's one of my favorite passages. Um, it, in it, in Galatians five, it contrasts. You know, it's the fruit of the spirit, right? Mm-hmm. You guys know the fruit of the spirit. You know, yeah. it goes through it, and um, it actually contrasts the fruit of the spirit with like essentially like the acts of the flesh or the acts of immorality. You know, and he he talk he goes through this whole list, and the point of the list isn't to like say this is wrong. This is it's not to give us a bunch of lines. It's to say this kind of way of living isn't good. Mm-hmm. don't walk this way. So it doesn't say don't smoke pot, mm-hmm. but it says don't get drunk. And is being, is that similar to not smoking? Yeah, it's similar. So don't do that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's not that it's saying these are the red lines. It's like, this is the kind of way you shouldn't live this way, mm-hmm. you know? And similarly, he says, what does it mean to walk according to the spirit. And, you know, he said, oh man, I'm going to get them all wrong. But it's what, can you guys remember? It's like love, joy, peace, peace patience, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So, oh, yeah. Thank you. Good job. Thank you. So, Just so, like or temperance, and, or instead, temperance of, yeah. instead of self-control. Yeah. I always like temperance actually over the, anyway, Nathan, Nathan is the, the Bible guru right here. So, but then what he says after, which I find to be so good is he says against such things, there is no law. Mm-hmm. And to me, what that says is, if we're walking by the Spirit, if we're seeking to glorify the Lord, is there actually wrong? Mm-hmm. Is there is there a wrong way to proclaim the gospel? Mm-hmm. Like if we are giving glory to God, and if we're doing it in a way that's honoring to God, if we're, you know, it seems to me pretty trite or kind of hyper legalistic to be like. Yeah, in front of this group of people, men can declare the goodness of God, but against with this group of people, women can't. And it just seems kind of anti the spirit of God. Like it seems anti the way that God has sent his people into the world. I I think the Lord wants his spirit, you know, fire for his spirit, love for his just to burn. Like there's no rules about who we can testify. I mean, even in in Mark 16, it says um one of the one of the parts is go preach to all creation, not mm-hmm. preach to all men or women. Even like you know, so you got Saint Francis of Assisi like preaching to birds, you know, like, and is that he actually? Yeah, he actually That's would so do cool. that. Yeah, yeah, he would actually yeah. preach to creation. And okay. well, is that not allowed? Mm-hmm. Well, it seems weird to say. Well, I mean, I don't know if I would do it, but. There's something very beautiful about the fact that mm-hmm. he took that so seriously that he wants to proclaim the gospel to all of nature. Mm-hmm. Which I, I think actually 
small comment there. Yeah. I think it's like actually like, hey, creation, look how God is going to restore you. To yeah, you. exactly. Like, it's not just for man. It's about creation being restored. All Absolutely. Anyway, sorry. But, but to go farther, mm-hmm. like to go like, I don't know, it seems pretty superficial to say like, to teach the truths of the gospel, you need to have these credentials. You need to be this kind of person. It, it just doesn't seem like the the way of the spirit. It seems like a very legalistic Mm -hmm. law oriented and and we're supposed to be people that walk by the spirit Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um, to see both men and women proclaiming God's Mm -hmm. goodness and teaching in his goodness. Like Mm -hmm. to me, it's, there's, there's even an underlying issue of like, what does it mean to be a person that walks in Mm -hmm. the goodness of the spirit? Mm -hmm. And I think one thing, um, kind of, you you know, you gave an example of some of the most um, adamant people that believe that women shouldn't teach are, are women. And I think one thing that I really appreciate uh, about that, uh, that approach to scripture is like, I don't look at, I think, uh, I think a lot of people are tempted to see like their giftings or something like that as giving them the right to ascend to a position. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, like, my role as a pastor is something God has given me. It's not something I have a right to. That's right. And it's like, and I think we can see many, 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 many examples in church history of people being like, no, it's my right to be in power. And it's like, no, God has a right to be in power. I have a right to serve. I have the privilege, the kind, the privilege to serve him in the capacity that in the, in the sphere that I am. Mm-hmm. And that's not like, um, that's that's something that I, I I see being a danger in some, uh, with some a lot of people is just like they they start seeing their oh look I'm a really good teacher it's like, but you're actually not humble at all, mm-hmm. so you kind of shouldn't teach actually, yeah that's that's my opinion, um and like they start thinking that they have some right to it they have a right to position, a right to recognition a right to adulation and things like that, um, and um. But it's really God and the Spirit that gives mm-hmm. us those things that uh, deserves praise. And um, we have to be willing to also let those things go. Like one of the books that we um, we read in for our, uh, we've read is uh, Christ, uh, no, Tortured for Christ. And like, I have so much respect. He's like, I'm a pastor and I'm going to go to prison. Yeah. I'm going to give up my position. And I would say Richard Wormbrand was still a pastor even in that prison. Yeah. That was his gift, yeah. and he employed that gift in that space, but he didn't have priv- uh, position mm-hmm. in that space. Anyway, and then there's, I, I'm just going to make an observation from church history. I think Mother Teresa is wonderful, and she has taught me a great deal, and I would really, really be sad if we were like, well, no, we can't listen to what she has to say. Yeah. yeah. That's true. Anyway. Yeah, and Nathan's even come emotional. I say, I am like, just throw that out there. Yeah. So I really like, and I think I think that the the danger of of the kind of thing we're talking about here is like, well, then do we just get to decide what is love, joy, peace, pain? Mm. Do we get to decide? Well, I think that's like this, and then where the line? And I think that's where the question of like God does reveal to us what's good and what's what's wrong, and if. God really does reveal in his word that actually women speaking is detrimental, Mm -hmm. then yeah, we shouldn't, Mm -hmm. then we shouldn't let women speak in the church. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so there's a lot of ways where, you know, God has kind of defined those lines. You know, he gives like that, that list in the first part of Galatians where he says, these are the wrong things and things like them. And that's, that's a helpful direction. Those are helpful guardrails. It's helpful for us to see the kinds of things that are right and wrong. Um, but I think if we, you know, from my reading of these passages we're going to talk about, it's not as clear mm-hmm. as women speaking is, um, mm-hmm. is the issue. Like the actual, mm-hmm. like, like, is it? Yeah. Yeah. The mm-hmm. XX chromosome yeah. people up front speaking is, yeah. is problematic, you know? So, yeah, I think what worries me is that, you know, we don't always think critically about this because we're raised in certain families mm-hmm. and are taught certain things. Um, and so I think, even for me, like I had a conversation with my mom recently and I'm a pastor now and she's like, yeah, if you got ordained, that'd be really weird to me. Hmm. Um, <laughs> I'm like, okay, you know, I'm interested in doing that. Um, and so I think there is a real sense of, it can be honoring to the Lord for women to, to give that up in order to follow what they believe his word says. And I think that can be really good, but I do think we have to really dig deep into why do we believe that and how can how can we look at scripture and read it and, you know, with the best of our integrity, do what we believe it says. Mm-hmm. And I worry that sometimes if we just teach, this is the way it is, and That's we don't right. teach how to read the Bible, mm-hmm. you know, right. um, people who do have amazing gifts from the Lord are going to miss out on yeah. something that he might have called them to if they had mm-hmm. been able to, to step into that role. That's right. So I do think that's important. I think just a little adding a little bit to what Christian said is like there is this I think there's um so the Bible is God breathed, which mm-hmm. is another way I think of saying like the Holy Spirit wrote it. Yeah. Because well the Holy yeah. Spirit is God, so let's just God wrote it. <laughs> God <laughs> breathed. People. And like I, I just love breath is like very associated with the Holy Spirit. Um and so like there's this uh, this notion in our culture and amongst some denominations to like, well, this is what, you know, the spirit is saying now. And like, there's kind of this flowy, um, what I would, uh, flowy, almost pantheistic, pluralistic attitude towards like, oh, listening to like what God is saying now. And it's like, well, like God but, changes, like God changes. Exactly. Which is contrary to scripture. God mm-hmm. is immutable. Um, and so there's this tension of like, yeah, we have to like listen to what like the spirit is saying, but it does not conflict with scripture. And I, I think one thing I would I would say is like we we do believe that we've actually looked at scripture, like our the AG has looked at scripture, really assessed it within its Greek context, within its very just a very, very investigative mentality and very disciplined and a very like reverent approach to interpreting scripture and a conclusion was reached whereas sometimes it's there in in certain conversations in certain other topics um people will be like well it's not actually this but they won't actually present to me or anyone a very thoughtful like well but the bible says this so what do you do with that and they're like, well, that's just not what God's saying now. It's like, well, no, this is God breathed. Mm-hmm. We have to reckon with it. We have to it reckon is. with it. And so yeah. that I think that's kind of a, I think that's a, a, the tension, a tension that um, Christian is bringing up and things like that and, and whatnot. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, let's talk about those tricky passages, um, or at least a couple of them. I don't think we'll have time for all of them today. Um, but let's start with First Corinthians. For, whoa. Let's start with First Corinthians 14 verses 33 through 35, um, which in the ESV says, uh, and this is Paul writing, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. So let's talk about that. Um, I think especially, like, what is this verse saying uh, when we think about it in its cultural context? Because if we just look at the text, it does seem pretty clear, like Paul is saying women should not speak in church. So this kind of like, this is interesting because um, the truth is, is like these, we have to choose like a various number of ways to like interpret this into like practice in a sense. So, you know, when, I, when I've talked to a number of people about this topic in the past, the questions are like, okay, how does this work? Like, so if we're going to actually take the the words like really hyper-literally, it says women should not speak in church. So that has actually nothing to do about teaching. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have anything to do about um, how they present or anything. It's about being physically present within the congregation and women can't speak. Now there are congregations, and I believe... Um, in a number of places in the more Eastern churches, like Eastern Orthodox churches, women aren't permitted to speak in the church building. Like it's mm-hmm. like a, a place of absolute silence. So, um, so I've never heard a Western person, a person in the United States pull for that interpretation of this mm-hmm. scripture in the church context. Sure. They've always moderated it to you about teaching Mm-hmm. Um, or about being up front in front of people. So, so you know, I guess the three little positions are is like women come to church and they should be quiet, like, um, you know, seen but not heard kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one would be like, oh, they just shouldn't speak uh, in front of people. And the last one would be like, we believe that there's something, that these these letters that Paul wrote, these letters, and that he was writing it to a very specific situation to the Corinthians and that there's some reason why he said this, you know? Um, and so, and I, I, to be honest, this is a very, this passage to me is very confusing. Um, particularly it's confusing because in verse 11, in, in chapter 11, verse five, in first Corinthians, first Corinthians 11, verse five, he talks about how women should prophesy in the church. Mm-hmm. So, how do you prophesy if you can't speak? How do you prophesy if you can't speak? So clearly something there's there's something going on in this in this church. And this church is going through a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of mm-hmm. ecstatic worship. There's there seems to be a lack of order, a lack of control. Um and I wish I could totally I can't properly totally hundred percent explain this, but I see that Paul himself is writing differently from one chapter to the other about this. So, mm-hmm. um, like to say, you know, they should stay silent, but then they should be able to pray mm-hmm. in the church or prophesy in the church publicly. That's, those are pretty different things. So, mm-hmm. um, but they're from the same letter. It's not even me just taking it from 
something else Paul says. Mm-hmm. The, the same yeah. letter says that. So clearly something is going on in the church that he's trying to correct, remedy. Or um, several things that he's trying to several correct. Things. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it really does center around this sense of order and propriety. Um, and so it, it's very complicated. And so those are just some of my initial thoughts is that like, how do we moderate this text today? Like, does it mean women shouldn't come to church and speak? But then also, how do we just within the letter itself? How do how do we mm-hmm. make it work with what he says in chapter eleven? So yeah, I do think we need to have a bi- biblical ethic of like using texts that make sense to make sense of texts that don't make sense, or at least relying more on the ones that do make sense. This one is really tricky. Um, I think there is a sense of, you know, the Corinthian church is going through a lot and there's a lot of things going on that aren't good. Um, That's why Paul wrote this letter, right? It is a letter. So Paul is writing into one situational context. Um, That's really important. But then here he's saying, as in all the churches of the saints, like he's saying, oh, this should be an example for others. Um, I don't think this is cut and dry by any means. Um, But I do think there's a sense of, you know, if Paul is saying, on one page, women should be allowed to prophesy, um, and they're in fact assumed to be doing that, there is a sense that they can be upfront and talking to people, um, or at least prophesying to other people around them. Um, And it seems like the heart of what Paul is saying is that order should be maintained, and that this, whatever this disruption is that he's particularly addressing in these verses, like it's contrary to order. It doesn't seem like it's contrary to this is what women should be in the church. Yeah. So kind of going into the um, those questions and maybe even particularly jumping into this text a little bit, the question also, if we, if we like look really closely at the passage as a whole, it says, um, it says, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. Mm-hmm. If there is anything they desire to learn, let him ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. So here here we have this, like, it's almost like there's, like, Paul explains a certain rationale for why he's calling for silence. And there's this question of, like, interrupting for clarification mm-hmm. and, like, I don't understand this. Um, and, you know, in this day and age, women being educated was not very common. So, like, for is Paul instructing about order in terms of, like, I, about how to interrupt or ask for clarifications? Is there a sense about learning? It, there seems to be, that seems to be something he even says is, like, part of his concern here, that, like, women should be learning at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and, also, you know, if, if you look closer to this, it's a, it's also another an, anomaly that says, you know, that they are not um, allowed to speak in the church as the law says. Right. So I've actually, like, looked through the whole Old Testament for that corresponding law, and there isn't one. I can't find mm-hmm. one corresponding law that says women should need to be mm-hmm. silent in some kind of gathering. However, they, there is a sense that, like, in the Old Testament, they say that women's authority doesn't matter as much. It doesn't count as much as a man's authority um, in a, um, a court case. And that was also echoed in the Greek-Roman um, world of the day. So 
so there could be a sense here saying like, is this talking about the a biblical law, which I can't find correspondence to, but there could be a Greco-Roman law in Corinth or in the area that says women shouldn't be speaking in public gatherings, you know? And so it may be out of a proprietal, like community sense, like, um, does this bring a certain level of, does the culture in their cultural context, they see women speaking and are they like, Oh my goodness, this is a shameful thing. Like, is there a way that this would communicate disorder in the culture that they're experiencing? Um, and to be honest, that's where that phrase, as the law says, I don't quite see, I don't see that in the old Testament, but I think it is possibly in the, in the, in the laws of the day. And so, so there's just a lot of questions about like, actually, when you dive into this, there's even some like, oh, is Paul trying to talk about how women should be educated? Is Paul concerned about which law is he concerned about? Mm -hmm. I can't find the one in the Old Testament they'd be concerned about. Is it about the Greek law? Is it about their perceptions of what mm -hmm. this Christian church is like? Mm -hmm. um, there's just all kinds of crazy questions like that. And then also you throw in that. First Corinthians eleven five, where it's like women can prophesy. I mean, mm -hmm. it gets pretty complicated to try to really pin down what is he actually mm -hmm. going for. Mm -hmm. What is he trying to really pastorally point mm -hmm. to? Yeah, and that that um, that concern that uh, of uh, like cultural perception of the community is something that Paul, in other instances, has like vocalized to Corinth about mm -hmm. you should be concerned about this. So in uh, I think it's in first or second Corinthians, there's like this guy that Paul is reproaching who is sleeping with his father's wife, which is probably not his mom. It's probably his father's like second or third wife or something like that. And he's like, no one's correcting him. And even your culture mm -hmm. thinks this is bad. Mm -hmm. And he's like, that is a poor reflection and so it's something that he is very concerned about. That's mm -hmm. that's all I wanted to bring up. It's like it is something that Paul thinks about is like a cultural the cult mm -hmm. the 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 place that he's in, the culture mm -hmm. that that church is in and their perception of it. Even in this chapter actually, like the the context of chapter 14 is talking about hey, you know, we should prophesy in church rather than speak in other languages so that people can understand. Um, in particular, non-believers or people mm -hmm. who just come in. And so it does seem like that's a concern, even in this immediate context mm -hmm. yeah. and something mm -hmm. that Paul is addressing. Yeah. He says people should speak in tongues if there's an interpreter. Mm -hmm. And if there's not, that the onlooker, the person that comes in, if it's their first time coming to church and, mm -hmm. in, a, in a matter of speaking, they're going to be weirded out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, this passage seemed, the, the chapter as a whole seems to be about, like, what does it mean to show Christ to an outside world. Also, how do, how do we conduct the church in an orderly fashion? Mm -hmm. And so, so the, the questions are really about order, reputation. Um, and so kind of in that context, thinking about the women speaking, is it, is it more about the reputation of their locale, of their, their cultural environment? Is it about order? Maybe even is it about the cow women are going to learn, you know? So, so it's a, it's actually a pretty complicated passage and it's not totally cut and dry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of what we're talking about is, you know, what prompted Paul to write these words and in what context does he intend them? And I don't think we can answer those questions clearly. Yeah. Is there anything else you guys want to say to wrap that up? I don't know if we really wrapped it up. I think with all that being said, and then looking at times where, you know, 
you know, looking at above, like where, you know, we didn't talk about this, but Priscilla is even like instruct Priscilla and Aquila are both instructing Apollos and Acts, mm-hmm. you know, like, or how Paul is commending these women in, in Romans 16 to ministry. And it's just the way that the first century church seems to have been working doesn't seem that women were like totally silent in church. Like mm-hmm. it just, and then that sense of like, yeah, we walk by the spirit. We don't walk by like this illegalistic sense. It, it just, and, and hearing all of these, like with this passage in particular, for me personally, I'm not convinced that this is really clearly about women not teaching, but it's mm-hmm. more about a sense of order, cultural reputation, and about how women should learn. And And I don't think there's strong enough evidence, especially considering um, 1 Corinthians 11, 5 in the same letter, that, that really Paul is saying women shouldn't be speaking in the front or it's, mm-hmm. it's not even necessarily about a leadership position um, in this passage necessarily. So um, I think to draw a lot of big decisions off of this passage would be, I think it'd be kind of a mistake to do. Mm-hmm. Let's move on then to our other passage that we're going to look at, which is 1 Timothy 2 verses 11 through 15. This one's a doozy. Uh, It says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. So this is where the idea of women not teaching men comes from. Um, Rather, Paul writes, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So there's a lot going on here. We have kind of this question of how should women learn or Paul saying, I do not permit women to teach or exercise authority over a man. Then there's this thing with Adam and Eve and this thing with childbearing. So let's tackle all of it. (laughs) Maybe let's start though with cultural context. What's going on in, in Ephesus, which is the church where Paul is speaking to at this time. Um, one thing about um, First Timothy is that Paul is writing it, um, and uh, at the outset of the letter, Paul says to Timothy, he's like, I sent you here to stop people from teaching bad things. Mm-hmm. I, I paraphrase. And yeah. so there is, and if you read First Timothy, there is this, rep, this consistent loop of... of um, Paul, like, repeating this topic of, like, stop the bad teaching, stop mm-hmm. the bad teaching. But it's not uh, centralized on women. It is, like, a widespread problem that's happening mm-hmm. in Ephesus. And um, he is specifically asked, Paul, or Timothy, Paul has specifically asked Timothy, who he loves dearly. Um, they have a very, very close relationship, it seems. Uh, Paul even refers to Timothy as a son. Um, they're, he's not actually his kid. It's like a spiritual sense yeah. of it. And they have a very close connection. He's like, Timothy, I'm sending you here to stop these bad teachings from happening and, yeah. and get people back in line. And so it's, um, um, it's, we, we might look at this text and be like, oh, well, women are bad teachers. It's like, well, in Ephesus, a lot of people are doing bad teaching. <laughs> a lot of so bad teaching. There's yeah. a lot of bad teaching. There's yeah. a, there was, oh, I can't remember. There's like two people who Paul, and this is, this might be opening a big door. No. Um, but, uh, there's two people that Paul is like, just hand them over to Satan. Mm-hmm. Hymen- Hymenaeus and Alexander. Thank you. Yeah. Hymenaeus and Alexander. He's like, Shout I hand them, o- I hand her, mm-hmm. hand them over to Satan. And it's just yeah. like, 
their teaching is really bad, really, really, really bad, and mm-hmm. they need to be like out of the church kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. And so, um, it's it, I think it's an important thing to keep in mind. It's like oh, there's a there's bigger things that are happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not just like uh, yeah, there's just bigger. Mm-hmm. There, this is not uh, this bad teaching thing is the whole of the book. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, Paul's definitely not saying, you know, women are the false teachers here. Um, but there is, there are references to women being led astray by false teachers. Um, Paul says, hey, you know, these young gullible women are being led astray. And so I think there could be a sense, though, of um, these young women who have been led astray by the false teachers and bought into what they're saying um, might, you know, be the problem, mm-hmm. <laughs> at least that's being addressed here. Yeah. I think kind of diving into the passage a little bit more, like if we look First Timothy two eleven, it it starts with, "Let a woman learn in quietness and submissiveness." So, again, kind of going back to that First Corinthians thing is this sense of like, we have a there's a certain way for women to learn, like in a in a community, and and I don't think it's different than how a male should learn, right? If they're going in to be taught, like there should be this submissiveness to their teacher. There should be a a sense of, I need to pay attention and learn. Mm -hmm. And that the sense of disruptiveness is not good. Um, Also, we see as a whole, like how how, how you guys were talking about, like these guys are, you know, there's this sense of like this false teaching, but also in the the huge thread of first Timothy is a sense of Mm self-assertion. So there's this sense of like, some men, um, in earlier, it talks about in chapter, in uh, verse eight, it talks about men holding up holy hands, not like, not fighting hands. Like there's a sense of, we don't want men to be fighting with each other. We want them to be like praying for each other. So there's a sense of like, there's a lot of self-assertion going on in this letter. A lot of like trying to put yourself forward. And, um, and we really see that as, as we go forward, it says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Um, now, I think the second phrase, to exercise authority over a man, is a way of qualifying what he means by mm. do not teach. So there's that second phrase, like, I don't permit this, or what I mean is this, is, is what he's saying. And actually, the word exercise authority there is a really interesting word. It's um, in Greek, it's monthon, mon. Here, I'll read it because I'm so... What what person is this? Um, So it's monthonatu. So monthonatu. Now, thonatu, the word thonatu on its own without the mon in front of it means death. Oh. Okay. (laughs) What? To give you a sense. like So monthonatu, some kind of preposition death. Mm -hmm. Some kind of prefix death. So what's mon? So... I, I don't actually know what oh, Mon is on okay. its own. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for exposing my <laughs> It seems like that would qualify the death part. But so the main important. point is is it could be undeath. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't mean that. <laughs> but but here's one thing it's amazing, is it is that word that means like to exercise authority. Um however, it's the only time that whole word is used in the New Testament. Wow. So now the Bible talks about the word authority a lot. Mm-hmm. But usually they use a different word. Monthanatu, um, when you look at other cultural things, like other cultural uses of the word, because we can't look at the Bible for how the other Bible 
people use it. Mm-hmm. We have to look to other cultures and see, or other writers in mm-hmm. Greek culture to see like how they used it. And it would be used for like, like hen pecking, mm-hmm. like men. So like, if you ever had a, you know, the wife who's always like control, hyper controlling her husband and like, Oh, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. that kind of a sense. Or, um, it could be used for one person executing another person. So it's a very forceful, um, like, like correction or it's, mm-hmm. it's putting your authority on top of somebody. It's mm-hmm. like, it's a, it's a self asserting, mm-hmm. um, authority. So or usurping, usurping yeah. authority. Yeah. So, so culturally it means something very negative and in, mm-hmm. in, in the Greek word. And we don't really have, I don't know if we have those words quite, I don't know if we have an equivalent to a word that means that maybe that henpecking word or, but domin- dominating could maybe be a word. So, the sense here actually isn't hmm. like nobody, there shouldn't be anybody that should be having that kind of authority over another person. Mm-hmm. But clearly in this situation, there are women that are trying to self-assert themselves and they're trying to, um, to lead, you know? And so, um, so there's just a really interesting dynamic. And then if we keep going, which is also super interesting, um, he says, rather she is to remain quiet and it says, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor, or some people say a sinner. So then he, he says, like, so what's the reason for why women should not assert this kind of authority? And he goes to the story of creation. And in the story of creation, mm-hmm. the woman does. So if we if we take this as like how a lot of people take this is like, okay, so he goes to Adam and Eve. So it means it was like initially made for women right. to be the submissive second person like, like a created authority structure there's a created authority follow. structure but if you look at it with that idea of huh. like a usurping authority and what do we see we see that the woman does lead adam in this sense of usurping authority and and he goes on to say um it has to do with deception right mm-hmm. that the woman was deceived and led everyone in this usurping of God's authority ultimately. Mm -hmm. And so when you really read it like that, it makes a lot of sense. But if you don't read it like that, it actually gets kind of weird because he says that the woman was the one that was deceived and became a sinner, almost, almost giving the sense that like the fall is all on the woman. Mm -hmm. And that Adam was not deceived when he was. And Adam totally was. Yeah. And what is even more striking is if you contrast this to Paul's retelling of the false story in Romans, he says that there was one man who sinned, just mm-hmm. like how there's one mm-hmm. person who's redeemed us. Jesus. Yeah. Jesus. So, and it's really important. It's like, we've all been condemned because of one person's sin. Well, so is the sin Adam's or is it Eve's? Mm-hmm. In this telling, it's Eve's. Mm-hmm. In that telling, it's Adam's. Clearly Adam's. And yeah. so why, why does he do that? He does that because he's making a point. He's being a didactic, very good (laughs) teacher, and he's making a point. And his point in this passage is women, in that story, they led ministry. They deceived them. And what happened? A great curse, a great bad thing. He's saying women shouldn't usurp this authority Mm -hmm. in the same way. Um, Whereas if you look at, you know, in Romans, what is he trying to say? He's like saying, hey, this one act of sin that we're going to say was on the man just that one act of sin that the whole human community did that we're saying was Adam's sin, Jesus will overcome that. 
you know, so, so these are didactic things. This is him trying to like say, like trying to teach a point using these examples. Um, and we have to read them in the, in the right way to make sense of this, of this thing. So, so then it even goes on and says, yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love and holiness with self-control. And the word saved there means like salvation, like mm-hmm. holy, forever, eternal salvation. Yep. But we don't believe in like works saving us. And this almost makes it sound like women have to have kids to be saved. Yeah, they have to have yeah. kids to be so if, if barren women can't yeah. mm-hmm. get salvation, like what's That's going bad. on? Um, but if you look at the letter, First Timothy as a whole, um, these false teachers that Nathan and, and Cassie, you guys have been talking about, these false teachers are even encouraging like women into a form of asceticism. So it's like saying, don't eat these things, don't mm-hmm. drink this stuff. And one of the things they're saying is don't have sex. And so in a sense, mm-hmm. and, and the word through is actually the tricky one here. Tr- through can mean dependent on, like it can mean because of, through can mean because of, or it can mean like passage, like say I'm going to go through a canal, like mm-hmm. I'm going to go through something mm-hmm. or like the way to uh, the way to something, a or, or I'm I'm going I'm journeying through something. Mm-hmm. So he's saying like hmm. one way to interpret this, and I actually think the more like grammatically correct way to interpret this would be that people won't lose their salvation because they've had sex and had children. Hmm. Would be probably hmm. the more proper way to to look at this, where where the teachers at the time were saying you need to abstain from hmm. these actions in order to get salvation. And mm-hmm. that's really seen in chapter four. Mm. But like here he's saying, no, no, no. A life at home, raising children, mm-hmm. God can save you. He will save you in the midst of having mm. children, in the midst of all you're that not stuff. Lost. You're not lost. You're not huh? you're not going the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's particularly like combating these false teachers. And so I hope with all that, with this long list of whatever and just going through this i hope you can hear like actually i think it's very specifically tailored to this situation to these teachers these false teachers and there's this huge sense of usurping usurping and like taking control and if we were to so what most people do is like in good bible reading you you read the bible and then you kind of take the truths of the situation and a lot of people just kind of reading this like blankly, they say like, well, it says that women shouldn't teach. So I'm going to totalize that to what Paul is saying here is women shouldn't teach anywhere. Mm-hmm. But I think that actually the right way to totalize this would be like, actually women and, and consequentially all people shouldn't have a sense of usurping and that we, we need to be careful about our doctrine and not be deceived in the ways that we live our lives and, um, and seek to like set up things like uh, asceticism or different ways mm. to reach God mm. um, and, and usurping being part of that. Like, mm. so, so I think this is actually a lot more complicated of a passage and, and very specifically speaking to this situation, not that we can't learn a lot from it, but that we got to be really thoughtful about the whole context of the letter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, this is just a, a phrase that Brady Bobbink, one of our mentors, says, and this is more about interpretation of just scripture in general. He he often said, you know, I think this is actually a quote from Gordon Fee, uh, a commentator. He's like, the Bible is written for me, but not to me. Yeah. yeah. You know, and so we really have to like 
be mindful when we're reading the text of like, it's written for me. It's written for my benefit. It's written for me to pursue holiness and pursue a, a rich relationship with the Lord, one where the Lord speaks to me and I can speak freely to him and like find a lot of nourishment in that relationship. And that's what the word is for. But at the same time, there is the challenge of like, it's not written in the vernacular that I know. Mm-hmm. It's not written in the context that I'm in. And so we in some ways have to do quite a bit of work and um, employ a great deal of patience in order to understand these texts. Mm -hmm. But we ultimately, I think, are doing a disservice to the Lord if we're not willing to um, uh, uh, um, engage in that that, um, labor of understanding what the Lord has to say. Um, Similarly with just people, a lot of people speak out of their own context, and we have to actually be patient to understand sometimes what they're saying Mm -hmm. um, instead of just doing the first uh, interpretation. the, uh, just going with the first understanding that we have mm-hmm. and like my, very much the word is I read this passage and I'm like it's actually a little bit if you read a lot of Paul um, if you well, a lot of Paul a lot of <laughs> Paul's letters I do feel like this passage it feels very like whoa to me like it's very different from like his normal demeanor mm-hmm. which means something significant actually and it means I actually have to be careful with the text mm-hmm. um, yeah yeah. And being thoughtful about it and maybe doing some research and reading some good commentators, not bad ones. Mm-hmm. It's hard to know who's what. And read widely. Mm-hmm. Read widely. And yeah. read widely. Not just people who affirm what you already think. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's important. Yeah. I think there's a lot of interpretations of this passage specifically. Like I was even thinking like that childbearing bit. I think I really like your interpretation, Christian. Um, I've also heard it put as like through the childbearing, like Mary giving birth to Jesus, um, mm. which is interesting because then it goes back to Romans. Christian's shaking his head, yeah, which Christian means he doesn't like head. it. No, I hate it. Okay. I think it's wrong. That's fine. <laughs> you I think you're say right. what you want. No, I think you're right. I think my point is, you know, we are not God. We don't exactly know what Paul was getting at. Maybe someday we can talk to Paul and ask. Um, but I think we have to be really careful when we read passages that seem to restrict where you know, in other passages in scripture, it doesn't seem like there is a restriction um, because it does practically affect real people, right? You know, if we teach women that they can only be saved through bearing children, that really changes like our perception of Jesus and of Mm -hmm. the gospel. So we need to be really careful in passages like this. Yeah. I think one last thing I would say is like, you know, Paul's concern very much so in in, um, a lot of just the stuff he writes is a high concern for the relationships between different people. Um, and, uh, oh shoot, where was it going? With that? <laughs> oh, um, yeah. One thing to think about is that Paul as in much of the stuff that he writes and a lot of what Jesus is concerned with and the Bible is concerned with is actually how re- people relate to other people. Um, uh, the greatest commandment is love the Lord, your God, who is a person uh, with all your might, with all your strength. And the second greatest commandment is um, love your neighbor as a chef, which is all relational language. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but um, last week we were talking about, you know, honoring your parents. And that's actually like a concern about like the relationship between the parent and the child. And I think about like um, uh, uh, the monthanatos. 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 The monthanatos, like, and you think about like someone that's domineering 
or someone that's nagging you to like correct you, it's like that's actually something that hurts a relationship. It doesn't help a relationship. And so I think it's uh, I think there's a high likelihood that um, the concern is always, I think, for Paul, it's like, hey, we need to make sure that people are relating well to each other mm -hmm. um, and in a positive way. And so, yeah. Yeah. Moving on. Isn't Thanatos a villain in the Marvel Universe? Thanos? Thanos, it means... Thanos, but I think there's a Thanatos. Well, Thanos' is meaning also is a word for death. The Thans. Oh, if yeah. you ever see Than, it's like... It's death. It's some kind of death. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Every time I see the word Than now, I'm going to think death. You should. Than? Than. <laughs> More than? It's probably spelled the Oh, my gosh. I'm going to die. More death. <laughs> More death. <laughs> Yikes. Okay. We have to wrap up somewhere, even though, you know, we could talk about this for a long time. Um, but having considered these passages and kind of coming to this conclusion of we believe that women can hold positions where they, they teach both men and women, um, and we believe the Bible affirms that, um, what does that mean for us today? How does that affect our ministry or our understanding of the gospel? Or, yeah, what does that make you guys take away? You know, I think... You know, a couple a couple things just like kind of trend going to this question from those passages is I, just, I think I think um, one thing is like as we're looking at these passages, we're asking the Lord to show us truths mm -hmm. and we see that God really values order. We see that God really values how we um, minister to our culture and that what's going to most show like God to our culture, like in a true sense, like in a reputable sense, um, that Paul seemed to have really be concerned about the gospel's reputation in line with cultural norms also. Like, and he didn't embrace every cultural norm, like, because the gospel was against them, you know, against a, a number of, of practices. But, but sometimes he, there's a number of times where he's like, well, that's actually in line with the gospel and we're going to go with that. Another one is about like this relational concept about how we care for others. And when you think about all three of those, I mean, actually, is it against the witness of scripture for us not to have women be speaking, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and yeah. what does it say to our culture if like the church is more, um, is, is less about empowering, um, the voice of women and censuring the voice of women. What does that say about who Jesus is? You know, in Paul's day, it meant, like a lack of respect for women to speak. It meant a lack of order. It doesn't mean that today for us. Mm -hmm. um, so, so it's important to like, I think culturally like recognize like, man, we're in a different place. And so, um, you know, for us in Chi Alpha, we, we have women speak not quite half the time um, because I'm the director and I speak a little bit more, but, but that's not because it's not a women men question. It's a, well, I'm the director kind of question. I'm the boss kind of question. Um, but like, um, and I just happen to be male, but like, um, we, we really want women to speak, you know? Um, and I want, you know, our hope is that, you know, women in college, my kids, I bring my daughters every Friday night. My hope is that I want my daughters to be able to find their voice and I want their voice to be a, a voice for the gospel. Um, that believes that they are empowered to speak and proclaim mm -hmm. God's, God's truth and his goodness. Mm -hmm. And, um, I also think we believe that women and men are different mm. and that men and women have, 
both have great things to teach us. And, um, you know, I hope this isn't going to get me in trouble somewhere, but, you know, feminine traits are powerful traits to be, to be holy, to be, to be smart, to be righteous. You don't have to be masculine. You don't have to be like a man, like women can be women and worthy of respect and we and be able to teach men great things. And so, um, I think, I think that's just an important theological thing is to recognize like God made us both male and female. And, you know, that's pretty general. It can mean a lot of things. What does it mean to be feminine? What does it mean to be masculine? It can mean a lot of things. But ultimately we recognize that God has a lot of truths to teach us in that, in that wide spectrum. Um, and that actually the plurality and diversity of voices make us stronger and more well-rounded um, and, uh, and that's better. I have so many things to say. You I can just, go. I'm, I love just, this I'm still trying to formulate my thought. Yeah. Um, Talk more. I mean, I think this speaks to, we have to learn how to read the Bible well and, you know, to engage with people who disagree with us. I remember as an intern, um, a Chi Alpha intern talking about this topic and um, our discussion was being led by the great pastor, Jonathan Lytle. And we all sat in a room and it was guys and gals. And he's like, hey, put yourself on a spectrum of how much you believe the Bible affirms this. And it was very interesting to see these people who I really loved and had worked alongside of in ministry, like realize, oh, I'm, I believe something very different. And then to wrestle with, through this question with them. So I think like, it's important for us to talk about and not just agree with whatever we grew up with. I think that's important. Um, I think having come from a church where I only saw men teach and then going to Chi Alpha and being like, oh, there's, you know, there's other opinions <laughs> about this, um, was really eye-opening and inspiring to me. Some of my favorite sermons I've ever heard, um, that were most impactful for me were from women preachers. I think we have a lot to learn from women when we give them space to speak. Um, so that's been very encouraging to me um, being coming from one one like world of thought into another like wow okay I do think there's value in this um, and I really hope <laughs> that that's what scripture is speaking to I believe it is um, but I think there's there's so much good that can come from hearing from a diversity of voices um, and the last thing I would say is like you know in Jesus's ministry, the church is so young that they're not as concerned, like Jesus isn't as concerned with position. Um, and there's sort of this sense of the urgency of the gospel means all hands on deck. Like, okay, mm -hmm. you know, wherever you are, you're there to serve and you're there to minister and to lead if that's what the situation calls for. Um, I mean, the first gospel witnesses of Jesus's resurrection were women and they go and tell Jesus's men disciples and they're like, hey, you know, this is the greatest good news ever. Um, and there's just so much value that Jesus gives to women who are serving alongside of the 12 and traveling with him and providing financially for him to do ministry. There's just something really beautiful in that. And I think it's something that, um, that American culture doesn't highlight very much. It's like, oh, the 12 men that Jesus picked. But there are so many women in that story too. And I think we need to share their stories. I think that uh, people should teach, and I think people shouldn't teach. There are people that should and shouldn't teach. I think that is not based so much on like gender or social class or 
uh, race, like the spectrum continues. This like there's a lot of categories. It is um, based on the gifts in which the Lord has given those people and the faithfulness in which they employ. And I and I believe it's about following scriptures as, as well. Like how faithful are they to scripture and what the Lord says, which is faithfulness. Right? But um, you know, out of this conversation, it's really about like honoring what the Lord is doing in people, um, and it's about allowing like the Lord to work how He wants to work. Because the Lord, if you look at the Bible, the Lord is just constantly using the things that people don't find worthy. And saying, like, I am most honored by those things that people say are not worthy. Mm -hmm. Um, King David, really good example. Um, Ruth, I think, is a wonderful example. Mm -hmm. She's like Rahab, wonderful example. Um, uh, Oh, gosh. Jesus, in a lot of, a multitude of ways, is a good example. And, like, the story continues. And then you have Paul, in contrast, Saul, who is worthy and then he finds out that he's unworthy and so um i think in this conversation it's it's really about like how do we discern what the lord is doing Mm -hmm. and then not necessarily and like allowing them to just speak when they have when that's what the gift that the lord has given them and again mother Teresa and a, a number of other women you know in in church history are just like like, why would we ever want to silence that voice? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think of so many people where we're like, well, because you're this, your voice doesn't matter. And the Lord mm-hmm. is just like so angry at that. Yeah. He's just like, why would you ever say that about my child? Yeah. And I, at the same time, I'm very honored. Like, I think Ramona, Christian's wife, is prob- a wonderful teacher. She's a wonderful, faithful teacher. And she's chosen a, a, a place in the world to teach her children. And that's honoring to the Lord, too. Mm-hmm. There's a diversity of situations that people can be in mm-hmm. um, that is that the Lord finds deeply honoring. And he's very pleased with that. Um, and I've learned things from Ramona, too. Yeah, I think just one closing thought is hearing other people really support women who are serving in ministry leadership like that has meant so much to me and i'm really grateful for um especially men who have come alongside and done that and so i think if you're out there and you're like hey you know i i hold this position like doing things to elevate women actually really means a lot to us so please do that we appreciate it I think we'll end there. Christian and Nathan, thanks for digging into this topic with me today. It's a fun one. Um, And if you're out there listening, we hope that this gives you a helpful framework to think about this. If you have any questions about what we believe or you want to ask about these texts or other ones that we didn't have time for, um, please reach out to one of us in person because we'd love to talk further about it. As always, feel free to email us with comments, questions, or topic suggestions at social at OregonStateXA.com. Have a great week, and remember, it's important for us to consider cultural context when we interpret scripture because that shapes how we live out God's word today.